0: Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now, on to the podcast. Over and out.
1: We are live. All right. Not live. Well, not live. <laughs> Send me live. We're Hi. Going. It's October 4th, and we just saw the Joker movie. This
2: is Dr. Diana Fleischman.
1: Dr. Diana Fleischman, Dr. Justin Murphy, Dr. Jeffrey Miller.
2: There's so much brain power going to pick apart this movie.
0: Did you Google what the controversies were? Because yeah, I literally yeah. don't know a single word. Joker we, controversy.
2: We are, we are virgins to the controversy. I think we should just talk about
1: it. This film has sparked debate for two main reasons. The online fandom inspired by the character and fears of possible gun violence. So, I am going to steel man this claim that this movie is dangerous. Okay. Because <laughs> Go for it. I feel. No, go for it. No, so um if you have somebody really. so I saw Natural Born Killers <clears throat> back in the when was it come out? The 90s. Early 90s. And I have to say Natural Born Killers, I was a, I was a teenager young teenager when I saw it and I have to say it was very affecting to me and it definitely did glamorize violence and you know the other day I was hanging out with a bunch of people and they said I said uh, you know my former advisor David Buss found that whatever some 90 some odd percent of people have had homicidal fantasies and almost all the people I was hanging out with said that they had never had a homicidal fantasy and I cannot imagine that you can see a film where it really glorifies violence and makes it look like not just Glorious and interesting, but also kind of beautiful, and not have that affect you in some way. So, I don't think it's gonna be like a long term effect, but I certainly felt energized when I came out of Joker. And I can see how somebody who is really sensitive to this kind of energy would potentially be compelled to, because you even see copycat, mm-hmm. like so in mass shootings, for example, in movie theaters. You know, some, like, whatever loser who kills a bunch of people in a movie theater, he inspires other people to do the same. And that's not even glamorous or interesting. That guy, his manifesto has got typos. Like, he's not (laughs) cool, right? (laughs) And this guy was kind of amazing.
2: Well, we all emerged from the theater here in Albuquerque, just typical suburban theater, feeling kind of like little rebels and, like, (laughs) we wanted to make trouble and, like... Get into nasty stuff and hang out in bad bars and drink and yeah. have fights and drive so, badly. So we
1: figured the, the the least harm we could do is come home and record something.
2: We're just going to rationalize it, intellectualize it, to sublimate all of our rebelliousness into... Uh,
1: into talking.
2: Peacefully. And, in and a nice talking. home.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm going to get drunk. Hold on.
2: <laughs> Diana,
0: I was just going to say that I think your argument is plausible, but unfortunately the media effects research is pretty shit it's very very wishy-washy and i gen- I generally don't trust many claims or findings to the effect of kind of discrete media effects such as a particular movie or even uh particular media like the tv as such or movies as such have very profound effects on any types of behaviors you really. study this right mm. i wouldn't say i'm like an expert exactly on that but yeah I'm, I'm, cheers honey cheers that's interesting. You went for the beer. I thought you were going for a beer. I'm going for the mountain. What happened here? I
1: don't know. Perka. You're never going to sleep.
0: Oh, uh, did you get that from the shelf at the door? Yeah. Okay, good because that's the cold one. It's delicious. So <laughs> I was afraid that you might have accidentally taken the warm one.
1: I'm drinking a Bosque Brewing Company Jetty Jack. I was uh, drinking. You're, mountain you're, they
0: pronounce it Bosky. Bosky. Yeah.
1: And you're drinking what? a glass of wine.
2: Bosque. You've been here like two months. You should know how to pronounce. Spanish.
0: Anyway, so yeah, I'm not like an expert exactly on uh, media effects per se, but I, from what I do know of the literature,
2: I don't really believe many of them. That's all I'm really getting at. So, huh. well, the psychology stuff, for example, on video games, right, is they have astonishingly little effect. Like you right. can play, you know, first-person shooters and do thousands of sniper headshots, and that's even the, the that's and even like, it doesn't even spill over
0: that's even the ones that find positive effects like even the positive effects that are found are very small and then there's all the others that find no effects it's a very mixed uh, it's very mixed literature okay so I I don't really believe I don't buy
2: it but I mean it's plausible because people go to these movies and they come out kind of jacked up and they think oh my inhibitions are down But actually, very little happens. Likewise, you play a video game and you think, ah, I feel so
1: homicidal.
0: I would actually argue that our susceptibility to having our behaviors affected by media is decreasing over time. I think our relationship to art is actually weaker, right? Because in previous eras, it was not uncommon for it. I mean, there are famous stories. I couldn't couldn't give you a source exactly. But one, I remember there's this famous case in Belgium, I think it was, in the turn of the century where – um, coming out of an opera, there were some like mass shootings, essentially, uh, you know, that, a kind of early, uh, early, a much earlier sense of that term, right? Uh, they didn't have machine guns, you know, available or anything like that. But uh, yeah, there there have been some cases of, of that. And that's why people like Rousseau were always very, you know, the, the, the moral and behavioral implications of kind of artistic liberty, uh, I think were actually more of a live wire back in the day than they are now, because nowadays we're relatively pacified people.
2: Well, if you look at something like the net, I think it's a Netflix movie, The Highwaymen, that's about sort of the Bonnie and Clyde thing, but from the the lawman's point of view, that was sort of an example of how even in the '30s, just printed newspaper reports of bank robberies and crime sprees could inspire copycats, and how kind of horrifying that was to the law the lawmen at the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that I can see what you're saying is that we would be desensitized because we imbibe so much media. I remember something that blew my mind when I was like 20 years old. I was in a class uh, about psychology and cultural effects. And this guy was saying that going to church would have been such a profound experience back in the whatever 1600s, 1500s, because it was a place with color and light and nice smells Mm -hmm. and art everywhere and it would have been just a huge contrast from day-to-day life Mm -hmm. and now we're just surrounded in these opulent environments comfort plushness art affecting things so all of these things have maybe lost their power over us but i can see how if you were in a very sensitive maybe if you're in a very sensitive vulnerable space and you're already aggressive it, just doesn't take so, it, it takes so little to tip you over the edge that something would, because we are surrounded by images of violence. There's just no way to put somebody like that in a control condition where they wouldn't actually see something that would inspire them to violence. Hmm.
2: So speaking of environmental effects, I think one of the key themes in the movie is sort of genetics versus blank slate and heredity versus... <laughs> Upbringing and stress.
0: Are you just saying that's what you're interested in, or you think that was purposeful, a, a major that, angle in it?
2: I think it was a major angle in the screen. I didn't get that because
1: spoilers, by the way. So oh yeah, yeah. So
2: don't me. don't even listen to us if you haven't seen it. Because why would you anyway?
1: Well, because spoilers don't actually spoil films. When people know the end of films, they enjoy them just as much. So if you haven't seen it and you believe me, go ahead.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe you should listen to this before you see it so you have <laughs> correct opinions going into it. That's right. You'll, anyway. have, the, you'll have the right lenses as well.
1: Blank slate versus genetic determinism and mental illness.
2: Preach. I believe we were left with some ambiguity about the cause of forces that determine the Joker's bad behavior. We don't really know if he was sired by... Thomas Wayne, marginally sociopathic millionaire, or some unknown dude. Why is he a dude.
1: Just because he's a millionaire?
2: No, because he actually acted like a dick. Like where? Well, like in the bathroom and on TV. And oh, being, if some, if some being, weirdo was <laughs> watching you
1: pee, you would have been like, were really nice <laughs> And you like,
2: oh, hey, dude. <laughs> no, been, I would have been, been a little ornery. But also on TV, he had a very, um, I'm going to save Gotham kind of, narcissistic savior complex. Sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we don't know if he was the dad or if some unknown dude who knocked up Peggy, the mom, was the dad. Penny. Penny wait, okay.
1: Penny Fleck. Penny, Penny
2: Flack. <laughs> Lucky Penny. Which slightly disturbed me because your nickname for me is Lucky
1: <laughs>
2: <clears throat> No relation. So we don't know his, his provenance genetically, really. And I think sort of blank Slaters will look at that and go, "Oh, his poor upbringing, his poor childhood, his his trauma, his beatings, his poverty, stressors, city life really got to him." Mm-hmm. And I think a hereditarian would see the movie and go, "Well, Wayne is evil, or unknown dad is evil." Mm-hmm. But
1: so one of the one of the major themes of the film is whether or not. Arthur Fleck is the biological son of Penny Fleck and Thomas Wayne or whether he's been adopted. And there's like all these headlines and stuff in the paper that said a woman uh, is violent towards adoptive son. And Justin was like, hey, maybe Tom Wayne and Thomas Wayne is like just gaslighting him and maybe um, Batman and Joker are actually half brothers, which would be pretty interesting, right? Mm. Twist. Um, And maybe uh, it was Thomas Wayne, right? Right. Uh, Maybe he managed to engineer all this stuff so that his love child was hidden because he was already a very powerful man. Uh, And one piece of evidence for that is that even though he was raised with a mother who had delusions and narcissistic personality or whatever he found in the file at Arkham, um, it's pretty unlikely that two people who were unrelated would develop a similar kind of mental illness.
2: Well, Thomas Wayne could have easily had... Penny Fleck committed as delusional, paranoid, schizophrenic, whatever, because he was rich and powerful. And I don't think it would have faked the records. It just would have been involuntary, committal of her. right? No,
1: but why would it say that she had an adopted kid?
2: Because then that would insulate Thomas Wayne from paternity suits. That's
1: what I'm saying. But you're saying that he wouldn't have had to change the records. He would have. Okay. Uh, you anyway. had to do so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so
2: the
0: condition that this guy had where <clears throat> he basically laughs even when nothing is funny. And I believe it says at some point in the movie quite clearly that even if he doesn't feel anything, he laughs at inopportune moments. Mm-hmm. So one question is... Do you think that's a thing at all? Like is, it definitely is a thing. Is it? That's a known condition?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit like Tourette's, but there are definitely people who, who laugh inappropriately.
2: No, it's a classic symptom of schizophrenia. All is that time. right? That yeah. was oh, it. Okay. Is that right? Okay. Well, because if you're having inner voices that are talking to you, sometimes they say funny shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,. They might be delusions, but... But,
0: Okay, so as a standalone symptom, though, that would be pretty unheard of, right? Like, that's your only problem is you you laugh uh, at inopportune times?
2: I honestly don't know the psych research. I just just know it's a pretty common... Incredibly beautiful, like,
1: callback. So in that little... He's got a little card that he carries around with him that says, I laugh uncontrollably. It's a neurological condition. Thank you for reading that little card that this woman turns over, this this black woman on the subway with him, is in the same, I think, same font and style as Charlie Chaplin uh, subtexts.
0: Okay, right. Oh, yeah. And
1: then later, there's you know Charlie Chaplin, Modern Times. So there's all kinds of kind of callbacks. Um, but so Jeffrey, what's that
0: reference then? What does that mean?
1: Oh, it's just like a, a mirroring of artistic style. I mean, it could mean something. But I'm just not. Okay. I'm not a film studies person. Right. But Jeffrey thought that Thomas Wayne and Arthur Fleck looked related, uh, but I think that Murray Franklin and Arthur Fleck look more related.
2: Really? M- Mur- I think, Interesting. I think any resemblance between Joaquin Phoenix and and De Niro was accidental. But I think <laughs> Thomas Wayne was actually specifically cast to look like he could have been a plausible dad. Yeah. I, I think,
0: think so, because there's that one scene where the Joker says, come on, look at us.
2: Yeah, exactly. Right?
0: So they, they had to be both cast such that that would at least make enough sense, right? Yeah.
1: Mm.
0: Now, did you notice how he said um, Joker would, would call Murray, Murray?
1: Yeah, got, yeah we, were, we were saying he got kind of, he kind of started, got like a gay accent, which is totally a thing um, as he, as things go. You know.
0: I thought it was constant the whole time. I didn't notice it go up or down.
1: So if you guys are interested in...
0: um Who was the Joker who killed himself? Heath Ledger. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so he's, in some ways, Joaquin Phoenix is kind of like Mm -hmm. following in the footsteps of that. Dude, how crazy would it be if Joaquin Phoenix offered? himself? Oh,
2: no. That would be terrible. He's so talented, though. What if the Joker role is just
0: like so insanely, intensely... Scripted. There's just something about its nature that it just drives mad anyone who dares to assume its rule. Yeah,
1: I could yeah. see that, actually. And so you're saying... It's- <laughs> God, it's so fucking scary.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> Take my card.
1: We laughed. I think we laughed more than other people in the cinema, though. It's so affecting to see horrible shit and hear laughter at the same time.
0: Yeah, I was thinking, like, you and I were both laughing a lot and we're very different, so I was kind of thinking, like, for you, you're probably enjoying it because you like I identify with the sociopathy. Whereas for me, it's like a release from it. I get it's like catharsis. I get to I get to kind of like vicariously enjoy the op- something that's not so much my nature. Whereas for you, or you did you feel like did you feel like you were represented in this like your identity categories were being mainstreamed.
1: I th- it was interesting that we had a kind of a conversation about what is shamelessness right before mm. this film, because mm. I think we have different kinds of shamelessness, totally different kinds, right?
2: Well, you guys yeah. were talking about who would make a better beggar if you impersonated a beggar <laughs> yes. and just used the most sociopathic, manipulative yeah. beggar tactics.
1: So for the people on Sneer Club who are wondering what it's like to be sitting around our kitchen table, that's the kind of shit we talk about. What would it, Who could make a better panhandler? I think I have titties, so I'd be a better panhandler on average. Mm. <laughs> Hold on. Um, oh, okay. So I'm on IMDb, and they have trivia, and they have uh, um, quotes and goofs. Um, but he was meant to seem a little bit like, I think, Taxi Driver. Um, yeah, it
2: was. There was a lot of intertextuality going on there. As the postmodern theorists call it.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you, I, bo- I, you two
0: both are really impressing me with your literary.
1: I would never, references. I would <laughs> never study film because it's a, a waste of of life and <coughs> energy and wow. intellectual ability.
0: I, here we are making However. a podcast about film. <laughs> you're really, you're really selling uh, up, Diana. Well, I'm done.
1: having a good time. And I will say... And
0: so are are film theorists.
1: (laughs) Are they? Well, right?
0: I mean, that's what it is, right? It's like, your point is well taken, for sure. There's a lot of jerking off in all of that. Yeah. But jerking off feels good, right? I mean, academic theorists, especially if you're a prestigious film theorist and you get to write long books about the philosophy of horror, um, it's fun, probably, you know?
1: I have some baggage about this because this very intelligent um, girlfriend of mine decided to study film and I was very disappointed. But anyway, there we go. So, um, yeah, Taxi Driver.
0: That movie's amazing. I don't remember very much about movies, but I I know I remember it was amazing.
2: <laughs> so there were a lot of callbacks to previous Batman related films, yeah. of course. And a right. lot of the visual style of the Joker called back to that. There was callbacks callback to Taxi Driver, pretty much to any gritty 70s cop criminal mm-hmm. sort of French Connection. There was a okay. lot of French Connection subway action. Okay. Actually. And then the Charlie Chaplin Modern Times. Mm. And there were little bits of, actually, a huge number of 70s films. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But how much of
0: that is references and how much of that is, the fact fact, just a shared uh, background just just background features, right? Like, yes, there are similar-looking subways in these movies, right? Sure. How much of that is intertextuality? How much of that is just...
2: I, I bet if you did a shot-by-shot shot analysis, it would be... Some overlapping okay. like, cinematography. Maybe someone's made like some
0: uh, fancy YouTube video showing these in detail.
2: Oh, and of course, Dog Day Afternoon. Like, What's Dog Day? I'm Day Day? not sure I've seen that one. So Al Pacino plays a bank robber, trying to rob a bank to raise money to get the sex change operation <laughs> for his... I'm not kidding. <laughs> for his trans boyfriend-girlfriend. Wow. And he holds hostages. But he and his sidekick become so popular with the media that they've become kind of media heroes and inspire this big cult following within a few hours. And the whole film's about basically how this kind of weird nobody becomes a kind of cult criminal figure like overnight. Mm, So I think there's a little bit of that.
1: Natural Born Killers has that same aspect, although I I haven't seen the film you're talking about.
2: Yeah, so there's also Natural Born Killers callbacks.
1: So this is interesting. Um, Joaquin Phoenix... Based his laugh on videos of people suffering from pathological laughter. Wow! He said that perfecting the Joker's laugh was the toughest part of playing the character. And then I don't know where they got this. This is IMDb. He also sought to portray a character that the audience could not identify with. Hmm.
0: Interesting. I thought it was. I thought
2: it was so fun to watch. I thought. It, I thought I, it was I like super
1: that. identifiable. Like everybody's been bullied and had oh, yeah. shit happen to them.
2: No, I think I think that's right. I think the the genius of the acting is normally the actor will do at least a few little things that kind of create a connection to the audience. Uh-huh. And here I think he maintained an absolute wall. That's a good point. But Diana's point also is good that like, I definitely found him
0: sympathetic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I was generally, you generally are rooting for him. Aren't most people rooting for Joker in this movie?
1: I think you can't root for somebody unless you identify with them. Like, if yeah. you don't identify with somebody at all,
2: I think both can be true. I think both both can be true. I felt like he was sort of an alien, and I could not relate to him at all. And yet, I was sort of identi- I was sort of rooting for him.
0: Yes. Okay. So that's what I would say too. Like I wouldn't say I identified with him. Like I saw I saw a piece of myself in him. Not so much, but but nonetheless, it attracted sympathy.
1: Oh, speaking of Joaquin Phoenix, was good friends with Heath Ledger.
0: Oh, that's a bad sign for his yeah. future mental health. Um,
1: and Joaquin Phoenix lost a lot of weight for this role as Joker. It was so serious that filming could be done only once. With mm. no opportunity for reshoots.
2: Mm. Whoa.
1: Yeah. I wonder, I, I wonder, like, cause he must've smoked hundreds of cigarettes. Right. Intakes and retakes and stuff like that. I wonder if you, I've heard about actors gaining a lot of weight, but I wonder if you lose that much weight and smoke that many cigarettes. If you're <laughs> just like never the same again. It's mm. a good question. Well, Christian Bale did.
2: Okay. After the machinist where he, I think he was, down did he, to he do? Okay. <laughs> well, what do we know about him? Like well,
1: is, is like he, he fucked up brilliant
2: actor I mean he the machinist he must have been down to like 120 130 pounds uh, yeah I remember that I heard Stella. he goes
1: off on people but
0: I mean what's his mental health like now I know there was that audio leaked of him like being an asshole but yeah, being yeah. an asshole is not that bad right I mean is he? Yeah. do we think he's a fucked up person he's,
2: he's still a successful working actor right portrayed then gained like 100 pounds to portray Dick Cheney right
0: yeah he's good at like weight fluctuations <laughs> that's his specialty <laughs> I, I, I kind of
2: <laughs> I'm kind of awestruck by actors who can do that.
1: You know, Vigo Mortensen turned down the role as Thomas Wayne. <clears throat> do you think Vigo Mortensen looks like Arthur Fleck? Hmm. Yeah, actually.
2: Yeah, because <laughs> he has a kind of long nose and not much distance between nose and top lip and all that Joaquin Phoenix kind of physiognomy.
0: Okay, so here's what I really liked about this movie. Mm. It is not very common to see in m- mainstream cinema depictions of people who are really fucked up and even bad people having fun. It's like bad people can get, can have fun You No matter how like low you are, no matter how downtrodden you are, no matter how evil you might even be, people can still have fun. And, and there's something kind of dangerous about that, but something that I really like about that. I like, I liked seeing this person who was just so loathsome in many ways and, and obviously quite violent and harmful, but, he was having. He insisted on having fun. He insisted on a kind of cheerful uh, demeanor. And usually, in most media, bad people are—they're like denied that freedom. They're denied that ability to actually also, you know, there might be some good things that one gets to experience even in the depths of evil.
1: Even you know, in all of the Batman movies, like maybe not Catwoman, but like Penguin and Joker and Scarecrow and whatever, they there are moments that they're having fun. But you I don't identify with them. Mm. So it doesn't really seem that way. Whereas what I think were the examples is, again, Sam? Uh, I don't know about Cowboy, but certainly Penguin.
0: Okay. Right. You
1: know, really old. I can't even remember. That's one of the only... Above yeah, and women. they
0: were so they were such secondary roles. Like, you're yeah. not, like, in the head of that's them right. for very long at all.
1: So, like, to get into Arthur Fleck's mind, why do you think he walked... So your favorite part was when he went in the fridge.
2: That was one of them.
1: <laughs> well,
2: I think the, the fun is a good point, because... Like normally, I think when people who aren't at all at all involved in criminal activity think of being in a gang, they think everybody's serious, like really trying to front and be serious Mm -hmm. all the time. But I bet it's really fun to be in a gang, and mostly they just (laughs) hang out and laugh about shit, right? Including crazy, terrible stuff they've done. But probably they just sit around Uh talking about like Tarantino movies and drinking beer and and doing all the normal stuff. But they also have a special bond because they're all like criminals together. Mm -hmm. And they kind of know that, like, this is as good as life's going to get anyway. Mm -hmm. Right.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a gallows humor. Yeah. But spread collectively and over time in some sense.
2: I think it's probably the same with soldiers who are deployed. Uh Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of laughter. For sure. In between the fucked up this. Yeah. Right.
0: I thought it was also interesting how, you know, incels as a class, they're so shadowy in the public, in the public imagination. <clears throat> and not that something like the Joker <clears throat> is a, some sort of like representative sample. Of course not. But I think it's kind of cool that the incel gets a little bit of stage time in a way that isn't totally just pathetic. You know, um, I like that. <laughs>
1: and he, and he like kisses that woman who's, I think she's, what is she based on? Dr. Ruth? She's based on every sort of
2: self-righteous psychologist. She's oh, that was she's, funny, yeah. She's the, she was, yeah. Is
1: that so, so this right. is another aspect of the inceldom, right? So in the film, he has a girlfriend. He thinks he's got a girlfriend. And he has these illusions that she's come with him everywhere. And I knew immediately the second that he went in to kiss her that this was all his imagination. And when did you guys know that she wasn't really? His we didn't, we didn't realize just, <laughs>
2: yeah, we were I think talking Justin about and this. I did not realize until the flashback sequence that was specifically designed to show, oh, she wasn't actually there or
0: there or there. Right. I, and I was saying I was like so pro Joker the whole time that yeah. I, was, I was basically in his universe to the bitter end. I, like wanted to, I wanted to hang on with everything I could to him being right and the world being wrong. I was kind of having flashbacks to
2: the the What Women Want slash Mate book, like you go Joker, Yay. <laughs> Don't nag her, that's bad. And I thought, yeah, maybe he's really getting his shit together. Like he, the, like he had the confidence to become a little more of the Joker from getting laid. Imagine
1: a man walking in to your apartment with a bloody nose, covered in clown makeup, making out and fucking that guy. Can you imagine that? He
0: wasn't totally unattractive.
1: They were portrayed as having chemistry in the
0: elevator. Yeah, I agree. Like, that was real, I think, wasn't it? You didn't
1: have chemistry all day long. If you showed up, and I love you, (laughs) in clown makeup with a busted nose, I would not fuck
0: you. (laughs) No, no, no. Well, hang on, hang on. Because So I remember thinking about this in in the elevator scene when he first meets this, for people who didn't see it, uh, young, attractive black woman who lives next door to him, basically. In the elevator, he didn't look that bad. He looked, yeah. kind of, and, and he has his sexy moments, you know, he's not yeah. an unattractive man. Uh, and he has that kind of aloof, mysterious, dangerous kind of character to him sometimes. And so in that elevator scene, which I do think was real, right? Like that wasn't a hallucination, was it? Yeah. That first elevator that scene, right? That first Ryan. elevator
1: scene was true, yes. um,
0: I remember thinking about this in, in that scene. He did look fairly good. Like, it was plausible. And I thought they definitely were They were doing the stinky eye thing, you know? It was was it? She,
1: yeah, she was flirting with him initially. And then when he did this thing back to her, so she pretended right, she, to she shoot she herself the with her in. fingers <laughs> um, only away from her kid so her kid wouldn't notice. And then when he did that in front of her where her kid could see, she knew right away he was... Unstable because you don't do that in front of a child. And then in the next scene, he's stalking her. Yeah. And then in the next scene, he talks to her. She knocks she on his door and she's like, were you following me to work? Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And she seems flattered that he was stalking her. And you guys <laughs> thought it was reasonable that a woman might be flattered than a man was stalking them.
2: Well, well here's, here's yeah. what I was doing. I was over-correcting in terms of thinking about how is she calibrated in terms of the other men folk who are available in that neighborhood or that building. And I figured they're all going to be colossal world-class losers and probably mostly pretty serious drug addicts and like more obviously violent. Mm. And she's a single mom, poor living in a shitty place. So, I was thinking kind of generously oh maybe he seems like kind of the best thing around mm. compared to the out there. <laughs> <output. laughs>
0: no, I, th- I thought that too a you little know. bit. I see that point for sure. The other thing is my response to this, Diana, is simply to say that you're assuming verisimilitude. And I was thinking that this was just po- perhaps one weird creative plot twist. So, yeah, I mean, movies usually are not super realistic. They make things up. They go in <laughs> weird directions. I just thought that for, you know, up until quite close to the end, I, I just had an open mind to the possibility that this was some sort of weird creative thing.
1: I, you know, I will say in your defense that there are women who are really attracted to psychopaths. And I don't think that film has done a very good job... I, I think in Natural Born Killers is one example. I think Harley Quinn is not a great example, but anyway, of uh, women who are genuinely attracted to psychopaths. I just don't think that he's, he's not like a sexy, slick psychopath until the very, very end. Mm-hmm. He's like a skinny, uh, slightly disabled psychopath. <laughs> and I think that um, when, when women choose psychopaths, they're usually a bit more conventional in every other respect.
2: Hmm. Yeah, but how many times have you walked down the street or been in some kind of sleazy place and you see some couple and you go, how the fuck does that work? Like, how were they even attracted to each other?
1: It happens all the because, time. I mean, yeah. I look in the mirror at both of us
2: and I'm just going to- <laughs> I, I know, this the, the attractiveness gap, the age gap, all the all the, all the the gaps. Just like no, I, I do gap. see
1: that occasionally, yeah. Um,
2: but And some women just have... Bad made choice. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I thought
0: Joaquin Phoenix's made choice in this film was decent.
1: I'm very <laughs> compelled by him as a man. Like, he's... I think he's a very, very attractive man. And I think all the close-ups of his face. I mean, he's super compelling to me.
0: I, I suspect that the attraction you feel towards him is <laughs> indistinguishable from his fame and the halo effect of being a, an oh, actor. Yeah. Like, I don't think you can really separate that. If no. you saw the actual person Joaquin Phoenix in a bar... And, you, and he wasn't a famous actor, you would not look twice, probably.
1: I mean, uh, I, from what I've seen in interviews and stuff like that, he's got a lot of charisma. Um, but in terms of, like, if it was, like, Joaquin Phoenix's physical form, right. without the best. intelligence, fame, and charisma right. that goes along with it, no. Yeah, no. I'm, I'm attracted to the stuffing, as right. it were. I also
2: <laughs> had a little bit of a, a leftover charisma residue around Joaquin Phoenix from his role as Emperor Commodus and Gladiator. You know, which he apparently must have played when he was about 14. Because oh, wow. he doesn't. No, I mean, for yeah. it was 2000, so. Okay. Yeah. 20
1: How old is Joaquin Phoenix?
2: Um, but Commodus was a pretty glamorous figure. Didn't he have a family
0: member who got killed or drugs or suicide or something? Wasn't it River okay. Phoenix?
2: What was their relationship? Brother, cousin, I forget. Let's speculate why. What happened him? Yeah. What was the story of River Phoenix? He overdosed on oh, drugs. Yeah. Because he was like an early, right. kind of child movie star, right? Okay, famous, rich.
0: So let's see, Joaquin Phoenix, related to River Phoenix, <clears throat> friends with Heath Ledger, and just played a killer role of yeah. the Joker. I, I, you <sighs> know, let's let's what what's the over-under over under for him being alive in ten years?
1: Twenty three. Um, Joaquin is only forty four. Hmm. I mean, he just looks.
0: He probably lost ten years of his life in this role. Yeah, he looks super, super old. I want to pray. I want to. I want to pray for Joaquin Phoenix very briefly. Yeah, so Joaquin, I was just being very glib about it, Joaquin but Joaquin seriously, Joaquin. look out for yourself, dude. If you're
2: listening, take, yeah. take care of yourself. Just go to Bali for like six months, hang out in Ubud. He's
1: fine, yeah, he's just, on Twitter. I don't know. I think this would be very mentally robust to be on Twitter. You um, do.
0: No, I think yeah. that's an, another factor increasing <laughs> probability of suicide. <laughs> Uh, Joaquin, dude, we're just worried about you. We really appreciated your role. We're very grateful for the performance. Sure. But now you need a serious and long-term uh, project of rest and recovery because we would hate to see you go the way that many other actors have gone. Peace out, brother.
2: Amen. We're having a moment here.
1: You guys are having a moment. It's, it's kind of a...
2: What's the, the Meta meditation where you send meta. a love? Woman- meta you're sending loving we're sending loving kindness meta Send meditation sending loving so,
1: kindness but i mean it's just i i just thought i i just wanted to say overall i love the film it was beautiful art the acting was incredible the gritty cityscapes the huge rats gotham the subways just i love the kind of confluence of the beautiful human progress with just disgusting trash everywhere and chaos Mm. like the juxtaposition of those two things constantly this glittering civilization and this this greedy chaos was amazing the kind of guys who who beat him up all the shit that he went through the makeup the clothing it was just stunning Mm. but also i was wondering if you guys were going to relate this back to social justice because there does seem to be a social justice kind of undercurrent, a criticism of social justice.
2: I just have one brief comment on the, the grittiness of Gotham. Did you notice the cleanest setting, the cleanest environment in the whole film was? The bank. <laughs> no. Arkham Asylum was the only place that wasn't a shithole. It was white, pristine. There was, was that almost, nice. There was, was a nice theater so there. that I thought maybe he's kind of gone to heaven, and this is an
0: afterlife. Yeah, perhaps there was the nice theater where he was working, and then uh, went to the dad or the guy he thought that was the dad. That that was nice. Yeah,
2: the places where the rich people were. Right. I also, yeah.
1: you know, I was thinking about what future people would think watching that film. Can you imagine everybody living in fluorescent lights all the time? Like future people will think that that is as bad as. I'm actually grateful that future people will think that something as as benign as a flickering fluorescent light is just a horror that should not be burdened. Hmm. it's an interesting thought. So, like Utopia, Utopians would think just any tiny horror is too horrible.
2: Hmm. Like the cutting of social services.
1: (sighs) Oh my god. He he couldn't get his meds anymore.
2: There, There was a little bit of a like Medicare for all subtext going
1: on there. I don't know. So no. So because you love to talk about social justice, you love to talk about social justice. What did you guys think? Because he's basically a guy who gets beat up, who is part. It's like right, in the right. system. Stuff bad stuff happens to him. The society comes after him, and he's it maybe adopted, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And all, you know all this terrible stuff happens to him, and then he's a representative a hero for the underdog and he Mm. also incites all these people to attack the wealthy Mm.
0: yeah to the degree there was a social justice angle in it i guess i quite liked it i think i found it refreshing in the sense that what was curious about the kind of political alignments in this film was, was that mob justice was aligned with incel revenge and right now in this political status quo, there's no such alignment or correlation. And in fact, to the degree there is a kind of herd behavior, uh, movements towards mass or, or mob justice, let's call it, there those people hate incels. The incels are the scapegoat for all of the kind of a lot of the social justice activists. So this kind of really screwed with that, and I, in a way that was bad on the front of verisimilitude. It, like it definitely didn't capture what's going on at the moment, but co- cool in a way that. I really appreciate it and found kind of aesthetically and politically interesting and and, and quite nice, quite kind of attractive. Um, and it started; it made me start thinking about, like, what if all the incels could actually get together with, um, like, Occupy Wall Street-style protest types? That that would be a really cool thing, short of the killing and all. I don't support killing, but...
2: <laughs> but the incels are kind of like this workshop um, inkblot test where, like... So people on the right think that the incels all become SJWs and that they're indistinguishable. That's right. Right. But the people on the left think all the incels become alt-right. alt-right That's right. And trolls. That's right. And so... They're right. <laughs> they're, they're kind of blamed for, for everything from all sides. Mm. And there was also an echo of Bain organizing the kind of uh, Occupy Wall Street protest vibe in the, the final Batman movie uh-huh. by Nolan, right? Uh-huh. That's right. So it's almost like the Joker rolling these people up, kind of inspires Bane later. Okay, right.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: I think
0: Marxists should like this movie because it's very kind of class-first mm. social justice. There's very little virtue signaling around race and women and, and all this kind of stuff. But the the main axis of antagonism and
2: revenge is essentially class. Yeah. Right? Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of identity politics. It was like good old fashioned Marxist eighteen fucking forty eight.
0: Right. Uprising. But to the degree there was identity politics, the favorable subject is the incel, essentially. And that's pretty remarkable. I mean...
1: Yeah. So, in, you know, when there were all those... He, at the very end, he was dancing on that car, which... Actually, that was the only part of the film where I thought, it's improbable that he just was in a car accident and now he's dancing on a crumpled car. He would break an ankle. But hmm. that aside... Is that there were all these men around him, chanting for him, cheering for him, and these people had saved him. They showed such tender care for him when otherwise they were just doing so much violence. I was a little bit touched at the care they showed when they pulled him out of that police car. Yeah. And what was I imagining behind all those masks? I was imagining 4chan trolls and incels, but there was just too many for it to be just that. He had wider appeal. So what were you imagining Mm -hmm. were behind all those clown masks?
0: I don't think it would need to be bigger than that. I mean, if you look at, for instance, the anonymous protests that happened a little bit before Occupy and around the time of the Occupy, mm-hmm. you know, there's hardly a smaller <coughs> constituency than, uh, people who wear Guy Fawkes masks on behalf of anonymous an mm-hmm. international hacker group. And yet they had protests, they had IRL protests that they organized through the internet in which people showed up with anonymous masks, the Guy Fawkes masks and, um, they had numbers that were at least as big as the numbers surrounding Joker around the cop car. So I I actually think the quantitative power of the incels would be more than
2: enough to to support what we saw.
1: Yeah.
2: And bear in mind, like the number of people who supported the American revolution was allegedly only 3% of the colonists. Right. You only need a very vocal and active minority. This is something (laughs)
1: interesting about the incel people talk about. And so of all the people that could have helped this dude in the whole film if somebody had actually had sex with him, that's I think the only chance. I think you would have all the social services in the world, all the psychiatrists prescribing all the drugs, people being nice to you. <clears throat> but and don't shoot the messenger. If you're not getting laid, you're gonna be a danger to society.
0: So we should pay young women to have sex with incels. The question is how much we should I pay them? Well, honestly we're not, we're think the
1: prostitution racist. might actually be might actually be a really good intervention for all kinds of problems, but we're too grossed out to talk about it. And I do think that it's, it's, I mean, certainly tenderness and love. And you know, this woman that I met Ginger Gorman when I was in Tasmania, she thinks that she might have prevented a couple of guys from being homicidal or doing real harm by showing them some, some love. And I'm not sure if that's the case, but I definitely think that, Having sex with people is a good way of talking them off a ledge. Mm. I'm just saying. It's plausible. Or even a ledger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> that's, <pretty dark. laughs>
2: that's the laugh. That yeah, I feel You've you got a natural joker laugh. Have you <laughs> not, have yeah. You yeah. not say, I Yeah. I'm totally cool with this. <laughs> don't, don't not when we're having our wedding bells, right? Not that. <laughs> I will
0: pray for Heath Ledger and I mean that seriously.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I actually, I think I went to, I went to church with my mom and because I've been living with Justin, I used to roll my eyes like a proper, whatever atheist asshole when people said they were praying for me. And my mother has this friend, she put her in the, and this is a total aside from the normal conversation. Mm -hmm. And for the first time in my life, I actually have a very sweet feeling if somebody says that they're praying for me or praying for somebody else, hmm. I mean, it's, uh, it's you really just, Oh, that's very sweet. I mean, on some
0: obvious level, it makes no fucking sense and is retarded. Like I totally get that. And yet from a slightly different angle, it makes perfect sense. And it's, in fact, it's quite a, it's quite like an obvious, nice thing to do. That is appropriate. Yeah.
2: It's totally overlaps with your loving kindness. Of yeah. If you, like you do meditation. loving kindness. Of exactly. Meditation, right? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I'm thinking about one person usually who is having a hard time and I'm no, it doesn't make any difference. And in some way that makes it even more beautiful to send loving feelings to somebody when you know it doesn't fucking matter. Oh, yeah. well, just
2: a few minutes ago, we were sending loving kindness to fucking Joaquin. I <laughs> was hoping he recovers from his role.
1: Yeah. Right? yeah. So, And it doesn't make any difference, but it's still a nice thing to do. <laughs> but,
0: but then because of that, it does make a difference. That's the weird thing about it. Hmm right i mean there are obvious empirical knock-on effects uh, right that that no one would
2: deny well you remember when i was reading all the christian marital advice books right and the power of a praying wife in particular I by read Stormy that book, too. Omartian, yeah and she points out hey if you're having conflict with your husband just thing for to do him. is first you talk to god before you talk to the husband right and then you get all your stuff out of your system you calm down you figure out what your real grievance is. And then you then you have the discussion with us. Genius. And I think that's a good hack. I Hell yeah. God, really
0: good hack hacker, yeah. God is the master hacker, dude. Yeah.
2: God is the hacker
0: behind the entire simulation. Literally the best hacker ever.
2: Do you want to check your um, sound?
1: <SSSSSSSSSSSSSSSSR> no, it's fine. I'm just saying that I just thought I would read something else about the film to get us back on the topic of the film.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe and it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.